Hello and welcome to another episode of Breaking Mayberry, the show that finally gets to the end of a season of black and white television. Oh god, it's almost over. We 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 did it, Marty. We oh fucking my god. did it. Uh, season 2 of the Andy Griffith show broke us in so many ways. Uh I'm one of your hosts, I'm Marty Schneider. I'm the other host. I'm Dan Ludwig. We're we, at the end, folks. I feel like we like we already had beards, but I feel like emotionally we were clean-shaven and we have beards now and like our clothes are in tatters, but we're on the other side of the desert. Like we did it. We we came out. We came out. Well, we're almost there. The finish line is in sight. Today we are handling the last two episodes of season 2. And, and they are punishments. They suck. By the way, I should point out uh Charles Stewart and Jack Ellison are gone. Yes! Oh my god! I, I I just scrolled a little bit through the list of Andy Griffith Show episodes on uh on Wikipedia, and after this we do not see their name. However, the bad news is, that means that these two episodes that we're covering today, a couple of fucking nobodies. Like, that's why these episodes are so garbage, it's there there there's nobody here. It shows. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, no, the Andy Griffith Show just, like, flips us off on the way out by giving us Nothing, Marty. Nothing. We I don't know what the fuck we're going to talk about for the next hour. We're so boned. Uh but, let's let's start off with uh what I've been up to lately. Oh yeah, Marty, how you been, buddy? Uh, um, Have you gotten into any any I don't know, th- this is a weird direct thing for me to ask organically, but have you gotten into any feuds lately? You, you know, gotten into any tiffs? Daniel, I'm glad that you asked. I'm glad because uh I actually did get into a feud. Uh, really? Yes, very recently. I was in a, uh, a feud. Marty, uh, this a, doesn't sound like you at all. A tit-for-tat battle of wits, you might say. <laughs> you got into a game of cat and mouse. <laughs> With um the guy who does Mark Trail. Yeah, yeah. We've mentioned Mark Trail a few times on this show. You've mentioned Mark Trail a few times, and I've been like, that sure does exist. Yeah, um, look, if you don't know what Mark Trail is, of course, you're... Congratulations, you're not 78 years old. Yeah, or um, Marty. Mark Trail is a newspaper comic strip uh, here in America, and it has been around since the 1940s. It's had three writers and authors, uh, and it is the story of a nature writer and photographer who lives out in the woods with his family, and his father-in-law is a uh, like park ranger, and it's... It's basically a drama strip about, um, well, it used to be about conservation, and yeah. Mark Trail would, like, fight people lighting forest fires and shit. Yeah. Uh, and stuff. And actually, like, I've been reading the 40s through the 60s Mark Trail, and that shit is really good. Yeah. And we've mentioned it a few times, because mostly it's known as being, like, a strip where, like, there'll be a a picture of a bird up in the foreground and it just looks like the bird is screaming because <laughs> the speech bubbles are all directed at the bird even though it's supposed to be like people in the in the like distance yeah uh and um honestly it's kind of like an inside joke or like it's been well known among the newspaper comic community that for a long time it was just running on cruise control like using clips of art art assets from the 50s and 60s 
and just kind of rearranging them and putting different text and storylines around them. Yeah. Um, so about four or five years ago, this strip was taken over by a guy named James Allen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, credit where it's due, I actually really did like the first storyline that James Allen wrote. Okay, you're not allowed to go into this granular of detail. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> anyway, so this- We're not doing the oral history of this. Okay, so James Allen is uh, the current author of Mark Trail, and he sucks. He sucks shit. Yeah. Uh, he cannot fucking draw or pace a story. He once had his... Uh, characters literally just wandering around a cave for six months. (laughs) (laughs) And he also is a climate change denier, and I don't believe that a climate change denier should be in charge of a strip about environmentalism. Anyway! Yeah. I have been in a Twitter feud with James Allen for a week and a half now? I think it's no longer... Like, the Twitter feud has ended, I believe, now? It's extinguished, but, like, the, the... there's still smoldering embers. Like, yeah. I definitely got under his skin. Uh, he And took, I'd say he got under yours. He took an entire week of his nationally syndicated comic strip to complain, have his characters complain about people being mean in the comments underneath websites hosting newspaper comics. Yeah. Like, he took an entire week of that, and somebody on the internet made fun of him for it, and I replied earnestly, and... That set him off. Yeah. For days. He just screamed at you. It was... He he also didn't realize that the initial tweet that I was responding to was making fun of him. Yeah. He... Which happened a lot because people were jumping in to, like, sarcastically make fun of him. And he was like, thank you, Cheryl. I agree that Marty is being an asshole. And it was like... Like, if you showed the slightest amount of irony, he would be like, I agree, Marty is the bad guy here. Thank you, everyone, for being on my side. And here's the thing, for about an hour or two, I was very excited about this. I was like, oh man, I hope that this ends in me being a bad guy in a Mark Trail strip. I was pushing that so hard. I was so excited for this. Dan jumps in uh, with the Twitter handle, number one Mark Trail fan. Yep. <laughs> and... So, and pitches real hard. Hey, what if what if you made a bad guy in the Mark Trailverse named Marty? Like you, that would really show him. We were angling for this so hard, but I mean, eventually, though, after like three or four days, he just became unhinged. Yeah, like it just became every single argument I've ever had with like a MAGA chud boomer yeah. on the internet, just moving goalposts, not responding. Uh, but the best part about this is that. He swore, he said that he was going to show up on my Twitter page and deliver Mark Trail to me every single day. Not really a thing you can do. So that I could prove, quote unquote, my claims that he was using clip art. I'm not sure how he he expected me to do that. Uh, I actually did, like, post post two very obviously copied and pasted images. And he was just like, well, I just used the same photo reference. Whatever. But here's the thing. He didn't know how Twitter worked, so... I didn't realize it until somebody else told me. The very next day, he posts his own strip to his own page, to his 22 followers, and says, There you go. Now prove that I'm using clip art. For like three or four days, over over Labor Day weekend, he posts to his own page thinking he's yelling at me. His kids have heard so much about you, and they are so fucking sick of it. His kids don't speak to him. Let's be clear on that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, God. 
it's the weirdest because you could have gotten in a feud with so many other comic book artists, uh, comic strip artists, but you got in the one with. You couldn't have gotten in a feud with fucking Jim Davis, man. Jim like, Davis is chill, dude. Jim Davis would not fight. You know who actually does listen to our podcast now is the cartoonist who makes Over the Hedge. Hi, Michael Fry. Thanks hey, for listening, bud. Hey, I did not watch the animated movie, but it looked good. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, um, yeah, you could have gotten in a feud with, like, Pearls Before Swine. What about Hagar the Horrible Guy? I bet he's a crazy old man. Oh, dude, Hagar the Horrible has gotten really good lately. I tried to, I, like, told my family, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, Marty's in a feud with a Mark Trail guy, and they all, like, gave me blanks. It was, like, comic strip. And we didn't get Mark Trail in, like, Massachusetts, so no one knew what it was. You couldn't have gotten, like, I bet the Get Fuzzy guy has free time on his fucking hands. <laughs> Damn it. You should just, like, st- go around, like, starting shit with comic strip writers. I've actually, like, made friends with comic strip artists <laughs> via the internet. Will Henry, who does Wallace the Brave, I've been to his, his like, shop that he owns. We've hung out. Ah. <laughs> I, I, it's very weird, but here's the thing. Like, you're right. Why, why Mark Trail? And can you imagine anything, any internet feud lamer than the Andy Griffith podcast guys are fighting with the guy who makes Mark Trail. F- try it. You can't. You fucking can't. You can't come up with anything dumber and lamer than that. And that's why we've been talking about it as the opener of our show. <laughs> Welcome to Breaking Mayberry, a show about guys with hyper-specific interests getting into protracted feuds with old men. <laughs> Welcome. This- I'm really surprised, though, because I expected if anyone came at us, it was gonna be, like, a member of the Andy Griffith Show Rerun Watchers Club. Yeah. Like, I'm sure they're outside my house with crossbows as we speak. Give them time, man. I like that all of our enemies have crossbows. Like, <laughs> and our heads. Like, we don't picture them with guns because that's too serious and real, but we're just like, crossbows. <laughs> just, like, like, little fires on the end of them. So that's what I've been up to lately. Yeah. Uh, I've been up to nothing. Um, that's fair. Yeah. Do, so, do, do you want to jump into this? All right. So let's get fucking started on this horseshit. Marty, real, are real you- quick, I want to give a shout out to our two latest Twitter or Patreon subscribers, Dr. Lauren Kamachi and Dwayne Maloney. Oh, and, uh, Nicole, Nikki Lee, uh, who is Nikki Next on Twitter. Thank all three of you for supporting us. If you want to help be like these people, join us at patreon.com slash breaking Mayberry. Okay. We're good. Yeah. All right. Cool. So Marty. Are you ready for our final two episodes of this dog shit, miserable, horrible season? Oh my god. Okay, let's just fucking do this. And I, I wish I wish we had better stuff, but this season, which has had some extreme highs and terrible lows. The lows are always grouped together. It's always a valley. Like it's never just like, ah, this one was shit. It's always like, wow, these four episodes are shit. Yeah, it just ends on like a couple of wet farts, just well, cousin, let's let's talk about cousin Virgil first because cousin Virgil is weird. Yeah, that one is yeah. strange. We we've, we've made it a point that like whenever we do two first, we deal with the more interesting episode first, and neither of these are that interesting. So by by a hair, we're gonna talk about uh, season two, episode thirty, cousin Virgil. Originally airs April thirtieth, nineteen sixty two. Written by Philip Shukin and John L. Green. And directed by president of the Mark Trail fan club, Bob Sweeney. <laughs> uh, director of 1964's Son of Flubber, Bob Sweeney. <laughs> Here's your oh, one-sentence yeah. summary from Wikipedia. Barney's bumbling cousin Virgil, played by Michael J. Pollard, 
uh, visits Mayberry and ends up causing trouble for Andy. Michael J. Pollard uh, is best known for being a supporting character in the movie Bonnie and Clyde, for which he got an Academy Award nomination. Is Okay, so he's this guy's an Academy Award nominee, because the entire time I was like, who is this guy? Who the fuck is this weirdo that they're letting mug to the camera for insane amounts of time? But, but, but he's not famous at this point. He's not famous in 1962. What is this? <laughs> Why did they make these decisions? Because Michael J. Pollard gets just like an insane amount of time to stand in front of the camera and act. And yeah. just and he do things do with his thing. He just face. kind of like... Like smirks and and mopes. Ah. He does kind of like a half smile, half frown, which is okay. The the act. Should we talk about the acting decisions that Michael J. Pollard is making before we get into this? Let's let's go ahead and and talk about Michael J. You should probably just Google him. Uh, I have a couple of like visual references. He looks a little bit like Sean Astin. Yeah, yeah. Like like uh, is he a cutie? Is he good looking? Because his face is extremely flat and broad. Which is, like, kind of good-looking, but also kind of weird. His face looks like he should be heavy-set, and he's very thin. He also looks exactly like uh, Dick Tracy's sidekick, Sam Ketchum. He looks exactly like Sam Ketchum from the Dick Tracy comic strips. He looks like Bobby Hill's head put on a thin adult body. It's really weird. Uh, Yeah, so this actor comes in, and he's... So the, the the character is Barney's dopey cousin. cousin. He's described as a goofball and a klutz. And so you'd think that character would be, like, bumbling and goofy and, like, kind of over the top. He'd kind of be doing it like Don Knotts, right? It'll be like, whoa, I'm wacky. Yeah, you'd, you'd think that you'd get, like, some ridiculous, like, Rube Goldberg kind of stuff. Like, he just knocks over everything and, like, that sits off a domino. It hits a mousetrap, which, like, does, like, you'd think there would be antics yeah uh so i think what he goes for instead and it's a very interesting acting decision is uh erotic tweety bird (laughs) like like he's horny about the mistake he just made like he's doing like all of his faces are like i've been a bad bad boy andy oh no i i wrecked your dinner oh no yeah, I, like it he, really feels like they're about to do a scene. Yeah, it like he's horny every time he makes a mistake. <laughs> One point, he crashes a car and he nuzzles the car. Like he puts his face on the car, like like, he, like that Cronenberg cra- crash movie, like he, where people get horny for car crashes. Yeah, he's like like it's he's like doing a thing of like like how do you want this played oh you know bob sweeney's like you know just kind of like wacky vaudeville got it erotic as hell i'm trying to seduce andy with my mischief understood Uh, so so let's 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 fucking do the plot of this show yeah all right so it starts off uh andy gets to work he's at the jail and he catches barney uh taking a nap uh in the cot in the back yeah we've seen this happen before we've seen him do this and Time for a classic AG prank. Yeah, the, the AG prank is a, it's a short tuck, right? He power tucks, like, Barney into the uh, thing, so... Yeah, some nice summer camp shit. Yeah. Yeah. So... Which I've seen... I've tried to do that. I've never seen that work. It was way funnier when he stole Barney's shoes. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. So then he goes back, he slams the door, he's like, Hey, Barn, is anyone here? And Barney, like, is stuck inside <laughs> of the cop, which we don't actually see. We just see him... Like, 
frantically making the bed afterwards. Yeah, which, uh, to be clear, this is a thing that can theoretically work on eight-year-olds. Because their bodies are tiny and shitty, and they can't untuck a sheet from under a mattress with, with sheer force of will. This is a very weak man that gets trapped under a sheet. <laughs> and, uh... That's pretty much the first five minutes of this episode. Mm. Uh, Andy says something like, oh, Barn, you're working too hard. You know what you should do? You should go in the back and take a nap. Yeah. And Barney's like, ah, ha, ha. He gets a letter. Um, Barney gets a letter. He says, oh, well, speaking of me working too hard, I got some help for us. My cousin Virgil is coming into town from New Jersey. And he's like, can he help out around the station? Can he have a job? Which is like... Weird. Do you think this was a thing that was at all normal back then of like, hey, uh, I got family coming into town just for like a quick visit. Can you hire them to do manual labor for yeah, me real quick? That's such a weird fucking thing. And again, it's a thing that would make sense in the Great Depression. Yeah. Like, it's a thing that would make sense like if your brother was coming into town and like needed a job immediately. But usually if you like have someone get your relative a job, they're staying for a while yeah like, yeah my my cousin's new to town can he like sweep up around your shop until he gets on his feet this is just like he's coming in for the weekend like, he needs a couple of bucks yeah, yeah. Ex- he's gotta pay for that bus ticket to mayberry yeah yeah no can my like can my visiting relative have a job the correct response is what no, yeah, no. of course not i don't know this person and uh, no like, yeah, extremely weird request, which I can't imagine a, a time or context in which this is at all normal. But in, in instead of that, Andy says, your cousin Virgil, huh? Isn't he the one that you said was kind of a awkward, like kind a, of a goofball? All thumbs. And so what, Andy? Oh, no. An awkward, clumsy goofball hanging around the Mayberry Sheriff's Department? You gave one of those a gun. Like, <laughs> like what's the worst damage he can possibly do? Less than the thing you already got going on. Like, yeah, it's it's such a weird setup. It's so fucking weird. So, Barney says, oh no, he used to be awkward and clumsy, but now he's grown up a bit and he's really, like, he's doing okay. So, yeah. uh, so the gag here is that, like, he's mm. right. Cousin Virgil is still very awkward, very clumsy. He makes a mess of everything. It's very similar to the Jinx episode. Really more how they're handled on, the Jinx is handled on, hey Arnold. Yeah. So, uh, well, Cousin Virgil is just a guy who's really fucking dumb. Yeah. And really clumsy. And can't do anything right, and doesn't really seem to be trying that hard at anything. But, like, well, no, he is, like, supposedly trying hard. It does not come across. Yeah, so, uh, here's, here's our first indication, right? Uh, the next scene, Barney and Andy are outside. Andy, for some reason, is just already against this. He seems, he's being a real dick about this. Yeah. They're waiting for Virgil's bus. A bus pulls up. And I want to take a moment to appreciate this bus. This bus looks fucking kick-ass. <laughs> I didn't notice the coolness of the bus. The Can bus, you? The bus looks kick, it was kick-ass because it is jacked up, like, on, on, like, risers, essentially. It looks like it came out of Mad Max, so it's one of those, like, sweet, like, pure steel 1960s buses with just like heavy siding there and a is a gimp playing a guitar <laughs> on the front of it and a bumper's just sticking out like a foot and a half in front this bus fucking <laughs> rules the, uh, the 810 from hell is here <laughs> Woo! so the bus pulls up uh this wicked ass bus <laughs> kick-ass bus 
uh, driven by Rance Howard. Who is wearing fingerless leather gloves. <laughs> uh, Rance Howard, so, uh, father of Clint and Ron Howard. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, so, and he plays the, the bus driver. A couple of people get on the bus and nobody gets off. And Andy goes, what the hell? What? <laughs> and he slams on the on the door. He's like, hey, did you have a guy who like changed buses in you know whatever city? Yeah. And Rance Howard goes, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I remember. Huh, here's the weird thing. He's, uh, here's his suitcase, and, uh, he's not here, though. Here's a whole bunch of information for you, officers of the law waiting for a guy to get off of my bus. Yeah. <laughs> like, they have to be assuming, he has to be assuming that they're going to arrest this man. Yeah, yeah, because there are two men in uniform waiting for a guy <laughs> to get off a bus. <laughs> yeah. So he left all of his shit. It's a mystery of where he is. They just start basically driving around looking for him. And they find him. They find him walking down a dirt road, uh, and they're this like... This weird little boy man. Yeah, and they they pick him up, and they're like, hey man, what the hell? Where, where have you been? He's like, oh, I missed the bus. No, you're doing too much acting. Okay. When you, when you took... Because he's not like, he's not like upset that he missed the bus. He's like, I missed the bus. You know, I, I missed it. It's fine. I missed it. I missed the bus, and, uh, here's why it happened. Like... All of his, he's never sounds upset that he has made a mistake. He always sounds like kind of happy. No, that's because the music is pulling a lot of the weight and just melodramatizing everything that he does. Yeah. Uh, There's like violin strings everywhere with this this poor guy. Yeah, but he's like smiling and he's like, I missed the bus. I went to get a postcard for you. I thought you would like that. Uh, It was going to be a bird saying... Something, I don't remember what the fucking, oh no, it was going to be a fisherman who, who had a crab stuck to his butt and saying, uh, they're not biting today. Uh, and, and then I went to the post office to mail you the postcard. I'm smiling as I'm saying all of this. Andy points out like, well, the post office would have, that card would have taken a day and a half and you're here now. You could have just given us the card. Also, did he just wind up not buying the postcard at all? Yeah, where is it? Oh my god, he probably still, he mailed it still, right? Yeah, definitely still mailed it. And so there's a moment, like, after Andy points it out that, like, Virgil goes, Oh yeah. Huh. And that's our introduction to Virgil. He's just kind of dumb. Not in a funny way. Not in a goofy way. Not in an interesting way. He's just a little, little slow on the uptake. I would submit that most of the other stuff that he does is just being dumb and clumsy and not very good. This is the actions of a fucking, like, brain damaged person. Yeah, yeah, this man has, has, needs help. He needs serious help. Yeah, there would, like, if I was Andy in the situation, I'd be like, okay, man, you grossly undersold this. Where is this person's caretaker? Because this is, the decisions that he made to, even buy a postcard already doesn't make sense and every other decision after that is not the is not a decision that a capable adult should be making yeah you don't send somebody a postcard when you're going to where they are you don't you don't send somebody a postcard from a place you stopped on a bus on the way to go to the hey greetings from the state you're already in yeah Yeah, like he was in the state yes they found him on the side of the road. He was one bus stop away from their town. So he was basically sending them a postcard from Mayberry to Mayberry. Welcome to 
Bayberry County. Yeah. Wish you were here. Oh, wait, you are. Yeah. (laughs) Insane. Like, that's an insane decision. Like, what the fuck? And then he makes two insane decisions after that. So Andy should have been like, Barney, what the fuck did you just bring to this town? This feels abusive that you let him come here. Yeah, this guy feels like he should not be on his own. And this dude is so weird. He's There's just so many, like, long pauses while he doesn't, like, while he, he calculates what's going on. He is so fucking creepy. Cousin, Cousin Virgil creeps the living shit out of me because he's doing that, like, I'm a naughty baby thing whenever he makes a mistake. And also he does, like, long pauses where he doesn't blink and just stares at people. And he fucking nuzzles everything. Like, whenever he's, like... He's done something bad. He just like buries his head in his shoulder and some or something. It's so creepy. It's so fucking weird. It's so weird. It's so weird. I like. I, it's the actor is making bewildering, terrible choices, and this is the most layup character to act. You just do goofy. You're just wacky. You just literally do Goofy from a Goofy movie. Yeah, you literally just be... This was, this was about the time when they were making the Goofy cartoons, like, how to set yeah. up your television. Uh, so they're back at Andy's house. Uh, Barney and Virgil show up, and they're wearing the same suit. They're both wearing uh, Don Knotts' stupid heavy wool suit, um, which looks a little bit like... Uh, on these two skinny men, it looks a little bit like David Byrne. <laughs> like... Doing the uh, the stop making sense. Uh, it kind of does. It it looks like they're about to do a close up magic routine with it, which they actually are. They, they but actually it, are. It, they look like the shittiest magicians, and they that's exactly what happens because yeah. they do a shitty magic trick. Cousin Virgil shows Andy a card, tells Andy to pick a card. It's the Ace of Spades, and then he says, "Okay, I'm going to shuffle these together," and he shuffles them together like a person who doesn't fully have motor skills. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not good at shuffling cards, but, like, he's just kind of, like, shuffling them and, like, oh, let me push these together and bend this and, and, like, again, actually, it makes it very uncomfortable. I'm actually formulating a theory. Do you think Cousin Virgil is about having a person with disabil- with a disability in your life? I mean, Like, it, in it, extremely crude 1960s language? I mean, maybe, but, like, they don't make that blatant enough. You know, maybe, hmm, maybe there were... Maybe this is, like, them trying to talk about it, but they don't have any of the language and they don't know what a disability is that well. They don't know what, like, Asperger's is, right? Yeah, maybe that's it. So, I'm sure there were lots of people in the 60s who were Cousin Virgil, Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, you would have people with, uh, like, who were on the spectrum or who had, like, various disabilities in your life and they probably had no idea what the fuck they were and that does that does explain a lot of pollard's acting decisions because he's acting like a person who doesn't know what facial expression he should be making to convey his emotion yeah because he keeps just saying he's sorry but not conveying apology in any way cousin virgil's autistic or we're grossly over th- giving this show too much credit, and I cannot tell which it is. I, that could be it. I, that... I, I like the idea, and also it makes us seem like assholes for talking about how weird and creepy he is. But, like, played played straight, it's he's weird and creepy. But if you imagine, like, oh, this is a person with autism that doesn't, that we just don't know it has autism, it's a little different. It's, it's not a good portrayal of someone with a disability, still. 
No, like, it's, it's not. It's I don't not. think it's it's an accurate portrayal of the way anyone with a uh, with any sort of disability acts in any of these situations. But it is a good portrayal of how people would think autism looks before they knew what autism. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that my working thesis for. Yeah, that's a good call. I think this this episode is about like a guy who has autism, but we don't yeah. actually know that, and they didn't know that in 1962. They didn't know what they were writing, which makes the ending of this scene kind of sweet. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm no no because uh, they basically just discover that he's a savant. Uh, That's true. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's oh, keep... holy shit! This really holds up. Let's but... let's, let's keep going. Uh, so uh, he does the card trick, and he's like, "Hey, look! I found your card. It's the Ace of Spades." And then he drops the deck, and it's all Ace of Spades. It's a yeah. Deck. Um, and Opie has a line like, "That's a good trick, Virgil, but it." Does messes it up if you drop the cards. Thanks, thanks, Hope. Yep, thanks, thanks, thanks for, for explaining the thing, Ron Howard. Thanks, thanks for your contribution here, Boot. Ron Howard hasn't done shit all season long. They have given him nothing to do. He just like pops up and he's like, "Hey, who wants to hear a knock knock joke? Hey, let me explain the plot for anyone my age who's not totally following this." All right, I'm out. Hey, who's where's my ride? Hey, <laughs> like. He just walks off of set and just pops up, like, lights a cigarette. Yeah. Immediately. If you actually follow the movements of Ron Howard in this season very closely, you can see him lighting a cigarette just as he's walking off frame. Like, you can catch it. You can catch it a couple of times. You can see someone handing him, like, a glass of whiskey as he's walking. He's the baby from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yes, yeah. He's like, goodbye, Pa. I need to go off to school for the rest of the episode. And then just, like, he's just waving someone over for a cigarette as he's, like, leaving. Um. Yeah, this, yeah, he's got nothing. So they sit down to dinner. Uh, Aunt B brings out a pot roast or something. Just uh, a slab of meat. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm going to say it's a pot roast. Sure. Uh, and there's just some, like, slapstick comedy here. Uh, Virgil, like, gets up to, like, help Aunt B with the roast. And everyone's like, no, 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 no. Don't you touch that. Yeah. And he steps in. And is like, I- I'll, I'll take the meat. I'll take this. And you think it's, it's all solved. And then Barney asks Virgil to pass the butter. And he passes the butter by basically, like, Slide tackling across the, the table? Yeah, he does a solid forward jab through the meat. Yeah. Like, so he punches the plate and knocks the pot roast into Andy's lap. Yeah, which honestly, not that bad. Like, that's not, you can yeah. still eat that por- that pot roast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Andy's got to go change his clothes, but whatever. He, yeah. In the next scene, he's wearing a brand new, very clean pair of, uh, of like, of slacks. Of slacks. Actually, he's still in his uniform. He's still in his uniform, and he's at home, which is very weird. The times Andy is and is not wearing his uniform is strange. It's like, I, I feel like they, they take him out of uniform very sparingly because they're like, otherwise our audience might forget he's the sheriff. Yeah, he's, it's like 8 o'clock at night. He I has think... eaten dinner, and he's still in full uniform. I This show has made me so condescending towards 1960s people because I'm like... Uh, I'm now thinking that if Andy Griffith shows up not in his sheriff's uniform, they're just like, who the hell is that? Oh, it's Andy. It's Andy. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Whoo! I was worried there for a second. I thought the flannel freaked me out. Like, I'm just treating them all as parakeets now. Because this show does. This show treats them as chimps. And I'm like, were people in the 60s fucking morons? 
so, and that's that's pretty much it. They just talk about how Virgil's nervous. Uh, the next scene, like, they've eaten the food. Andy's changed into his other uniform for some reason. That's the best part, is his uniform was dirty. Yeah. He had a reason to go put on pants. This is a just great opportunity to change some into some jeans yeah. or some shit. Yeah, so fucking weird. So do they they continue the dinner. What the fuck happens in the in the, the remainder of the dinner? Okay, not not a whole lot. The next thing that really happens is like they're all standing around, Aunt B, Opie, uh, Andy and Barney, and they're, like, talking about how Virgil gets really nervous and awkward and stuff and doesn't really know what to do with himself. And then Andy's like, wait, where is Virgil now? And Opie says, oh, he said he was going to go drive the squad car and bring it around for you, Barney. Oh, yeah. And then they all go, what? And they just run out onto the porch just in time to see... Virgil crash a car. Yeah, Virgil just, like screaming, going like 20, 30 miles an hour into the driveway, backwards, and just crashes right into their garage. So, Virgil totals, doesn't total a car, but he destroys that garage. Yeah, that garage door is fucked. Yeah, so, and this is the thing that really cemented Virgil as, like, being poorly acted and or creepy to me, because I can't emphasize this stuff. He nuzzles the car. He gets out, he says, like, I'm sorry, Barney, I guess I really messed up. Smiles really big, and then just, like, the camera gives him, like, five seconds to just act, and he just, like, like just does real big eyes at the camera, and then just kind of, like, nuzzles the car, that's and then the looks back up. That's the other thing that's weird about this, and it's not Michael J. Pollard's acting, it's very weird, like, choices on Bob Sweeney's part to just hold the camera on him for... 5, 10, 15 seconds longer than necessary. And Pollard has no idea what the fuck he's supposed to do in this time. It's so weird. The character just is this vortex of everyone, of the writing, the acting, and the directing all making extremely weird decisions. Everything about this is is so gross. and Not gross, but it's just... It's off-putting. This is a very off-putting episode. Yeah, it's extremely... It feels like no one... Like, each had different ideas about who the character was. I feel like Pollard was trying to be, like, the sexy, like, guy. Like, I feel like he was trying to break out as, like, a heartthrob. And they were like, no, we gave you the dumb guy. You're not going to be the... you're, You're not going to break out as, like, a sex symbol with this. He was like... Fucking watch me. <laughs> watch me. I'm going to take the nation by storm with your uh, with your bumbling character. In five years, when I play a sidekick to Warren Beatty. <laughs> That'll show all of you. The mm. next day, they're at the jail. Oh, uh, I think by this point, Andy's had it, right? Andy's just like, that boy has got to go. Because he destroyed his garage. Right. And like... Well, I am, you know, Andy, I, I empathize with Andy. Little hypocritical of you, bud. Little hypocritical that this guy is the guy that you're like, I gotta fucking kick out. But you keep Barney around all the time. You know why? Because Cousin Virgil has committed the worst sin that you can do in Mayberry. Was that? Not being from Mayberry. <laughs> Well, yeah, he's already on extremely thin ice, and then he, I can't about this enough, he did destroy Andy's garage, Marty, okay? Like, that is like, like, I get it's a little hypocritical because he does tolerate horrible behavior from most people around him, but also, he destroyed his garage. That's true. I'm giving, I'm pretty on board with Andy's whole deal in this, because he's like, like, it's it just in terms of a practical sense, like, this guy is destroying all of my property. Yeah. 
Get him the fuck away from my family. The, the next day, they're at the jailhouse. Andy's not there. It's Marty and Virgil. And Virgil's just like, he's real sad. He's like, I'm sorry I did that, Cousin Barney. Is there any way I can help? Is there anything I can do? Anything? And Barney's just like, here, fucking just, here, just, just sweep. Here's the broom. Just sweep. You can't break anything while you're sweeping. So, of course, he breaks something while he's sweeping. Of course, of course. Trying to get the broom into the dustpan. He's trying to use that without, like, an actual small little whisk broom. And while he's doing that, he backs the broom handle into a glass cabinet that's got a bunch of, like, law books in it. Yeah. And he breaks the glass. Law books they have never, ever used. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Barney just comes in, he's like, oh, my God, Virgil, Virgil, Jesus Christ, Virgil. It's literally, it's just over and over again of Virgil breaks a thing, and then they go, Virgil, and then Virgil does, like, ten seconds of mugging. And then they just rinse and repeat that until we get to the eventual point of the fucking episode. Which is right now. Yeah. Finally, Barney's like, okay, what's something I can give you that you can't fuck up? Uh, here. And he goes to the hangar where they've got the keys. He's like, these keys are rusty. Go clean these keys. Mm -hmm. And he specifically says, go clean the keys with sandpaper. So I'm going to blame Barney partially for this. Yeah, what the hell? What the hell? Like, If you can, like, destroy keys with sandpaper, don't use sandpaper on keys. Yeah, at all. At all. But, so Andy comes in and he's pissed off because Virgil's there. Yeah. He's like, God damn it! I don't want this kid fucking here. Yeah. An alarm clock goes off. Barney's like, what the hell's that? And he says, oh, I set an alarm for Otis. Uh, I said I would wake him up because he's got a job interview. Which, incredible. Yeah. Someone wants to hire the drunkest man in the county. But yeah, so that's, I mean, positive development for Otis, if nothing else, right? <laughs> Otis is getting his shit together. It's just a hill to slide back down, man. He's... <laughs> In 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 any sort of like coherent continuity, Otis would be dead by season four. Oh, clearly, yeah. But so okay, he says, "All right, well, I got to get Otis ready for his job interview." Good friend, Andy. So they got to unlock the cell to get Otis out. Barney calls for Virgil. Virgil enters with the keys, very clean, completely different prop. And now the key doesn't work anymore. They stick the the key in the lock, and it doesn't turn. Right. They key. You know, Barney tries it. Andy tries it. Then Andy goes, "Ah, crap." Virgil sanded this down so well, cleaned this so well, that he sanded all the teeth off the key, and now it doesn't work anymore. Which, why did Barney tell him to use sandpaper in the first place? To get rust off? What? What? Do you think, uh, so this is, this is not Charles Ellison and Jack Stewart, no. right? So this is new guy. Yeah. So, like, they got a new, they managed to somehow downgrade from Charles Ellison and Jack Stewart, who don't understand how human beings work, to a guy that doesn't understand how keys work. Because <laughs> you can't do that. That's not a thing you can do. Also, these were, like, giant toy keys. Like, ridiculous. Like, they're just, like, giant hunks of metal that look like you would get in Banjo-Kazooie to open a door. Uh, like, they look like something from a from an old video game. Uh, I'm looking now, and I think... Yeah, so this was written by Philip Shukin and John L. Green. We're never going to see Philip Shukin ever again. Yeah. John L. Green will see him two or three more times through the rest of the series. But, yeah, so complete nobody. Just, like, was this a spec script? Was I, this, like... <laughs> I think this is, like, they were like, all right, Charles Ellison and Jack Stewart are, uh, they're gone. Uh, you know, Harvey Bullock can only take so much time out of his uh, schedule with the Gotham PD to write episodes for us. All right, kids. You're coming up to the majors. What you got? Uh, what if a guy was awkward? Okay. 
You get out of my office. All right. Who's who's the next up to bat? Oh, oh God. Um, Otis is a deputy now. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, okay, so. Oh, God. I don't know. What if there was a guy who was bad at things? On the Andy Griffith show, that is a guest character premise? What? <laughs> and so, that's fucking it. Finally, like, they, they yell at Virgil. They're like, God damn it, Virgil, how did you fuck this one up? And now we've got stakes! We've introduced stakes to the Andy Griffith show. They're mm. very low stakes, but Otis will miss his... Otis will uh, just straight up not get the job. Yeah, Otis is gonna miss his, his job interview, and if he misses his job interview, he's gonna uh, die. He's gonna mm. go straight into giving himself liver cirrhosis yeah drink so hard no he'll sober up because he won't be able to afford alcohol and he'll just be like oh my god look at the wreckage that is my life my wife hates me how did i do this that pretty much is almost the next episode yeah uh so barney like they they yell at virgil and then barney leaves because he's got to go do something he's got an idea to help get otis out uh and andy goes to his desk because he's digging around he's looking for some keys or for some tools before he leaves barney lays into virgil like just like basically calls him a, a useless piece of shit because he's like all you ever are is sorry you just apologize all the time you never do anything right he's not like you're not trying hard enough he's not like you need to focus he's just like why do you suck so bad? Inherently. Why are you so such a worthless human being? Explain your shittiness to me, Virgil. Like, he's not yelling at him for, like, a personal or mental failing. He's just like, you suck. Yeah. You <laughs> suck, <laughs> homie. It tears him apart. Fuck you. And then leaves. Fuck you. And then bounces. <laughs> yeah. It's not helpful or constructive in any way. It's very funny, though. Yeah. <laughs> It's so mean. It's yeah, so funny. It's so needlessly mean. Andy is at his desk digging around for some tools because he's going to try to get Otis out that way. I don't yeah. know. He's going to try to pry the door open. I don't know. And Otis is just like, guys, come on. Help me out here. Opie wanders in carrying like a wooden cowboy and a wooden like dog. He's like, I got some new toys, Pa. And Andy's like, yeah, I'm not paying attention. I'm not looking at I you. I'm not going in on this with you. Yeah, I don't care about this. Yeah. But he... And, He's, like, doing that dad thing where, like, dads only half pay attention to what their kid's saying. He's like, I'm busy right now. And Opie says, I bet you think I got these from a store, don't you, Pa? Yeah, sure. Sure. Whatever, whatever. I don't care. I didn't. Virgil made them. And that piques Andy's attention. He's like, wait, did you say that Virgil? Well, I I think what initially piques his interest is, Virgil is interacting with my son without my immediate, like, has he been near you with his hands that break things that destroyed my garage? It's like paternal instinct kicks in. And once once he's ascertained that, like, no bones are sticking out of Opie's skin. <laughs> He'll he destroy you like he destroyed my favorite garage. And he picks up the cowboy and he's like, well, this is actually this is a fine whittled cowboy, I mm. guess. It's, it's just he whittled a cowboy out of, out of wood. It's just a wooden yeah. sculpture. Yeah. Kind of neat. Whatever. That's cool. Uh, and he, like, looks at, at Virgil and he's like, you made this? With, like, a knife? And you still have fingers? <laughs> what? How did you... How? Yeah. How are you not bleeding right now? How, like, how am I not taking you to the emergency room as we speak? And Virgil's just like, I mean, my dad taught me to do this. My dad's a carver cabinet maker, and he's a wood carver. 
He's the best wood carver in our entire town. He built everything. Uh, you're but doing a I very can't... good job of doing the character's voice. Right I can't now. do it though. Why? Why? He taught me how to do this, but I get nervous when people are watching. I can only do it when no one's watching. Otherwise, I get nervous. And that's that's the end of that. That's Santa. that's how that goes. So, yeah. And then Andy's like, okay, I just immediately figured out your entire deal. You're an idiot savant, or just a, a, normal, a normal savant, If depending on whether or not you actually have a disability. Still me, Andy Griffith, talking. I'm kind of puzzling this all out as I'm talking. Uh, so, yeah. So I think what we're going to do is everyone's going to turn around. Otis is going to turn around to his cell. I'm going to leave the room. I'm going to take my son away from you because you destroyed my garage. Um... <laughs> And then we're going to go outside. You're going to whittle keys, which I'm not going to give you any instructions on how that works. Um, Do it. Just go for it. I feel like, you know, keys, just make them. Just make some keys. You know, that's, you you, you should really level up your locksmith skills a little bit. Grind a little bit and uh, put put those points, extra points up in locksmith. You'll be fine. You can't just, like, look at a lock and then look at a piece of wood and be like, I know the teeth. You have to make a key by... Like, putting it... By having a reference thing. What Virgil actually does is he just takes the door off. So yeah, he's he just, just a general genius handyman. Yeah, he just, he just like, unscrews the hinges and just undoes the pin. Which, super secure fucking jail you got there, yeah. Andy Griffith. Well, they have had, like, two jailbreaks this season. Like, three jailbreaks. Four jailbreaks this Five jailbreaks? Four jailbreaks this season. He just leaves him alone for a couple minutes. He goes out in the back room and smokes a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a shot of, of Andy just hanging out on the cot, just smoking a cigarette. Just, well. Smooth. Guess it's about that time. <laughs> just, Opie, you want one? Yeah. <laughs> Aw, oh, children, look how cool this is. <laughs> man and Andy. Me, your, your father figure teaching you that this is cool. He does look cool as fuck. God, yeah. Shot. He looks so cool. Whenever Andy Griffith, the actor, decides to be at all roguish, it's so fucking cool. Like, to go back to face in the crowd, him drinking like alcohol looks cool as he fuck. Looks so cool. He could have been such a, a fucking badass man. I, I tell you, he could have gone the way I've said it before. He could have been like a Rat Pack member easily. Oh, one hundred. He could have hung out with Dino and and Frank very easily. Yeah. So he's like, all right, well, I finished this pack. So I'm gonna. Yeah. I like that he was just chain smoking back there. Yeah. Just like he sits up and there's just a small pile of cigarette butts uh, like underneath where he was standing. They just fall from the, like... Just to shower off of him. Yeah. And then he comes out and he's like, Oh, well, good job. You got the you got the door off. And now Otis can go get cleaned up. And Otis like, yeah, I'm just gonna make it. All right, cool. Yeah. Meanwhile, outside, Barney is He's a tying rope. the police cruiser to the to the bars of the window. Like, he's doing an old-timey jailbreak. Yes. yes. Uh, and then just as they open up the cell, Barney rips out the back of the jail cell. And Andy's just like... Good job, Barney, you asshole. When in reality, like, solid plan, yeah, I'd say. Yeah, like, that's not Barney's fault at all. They, like, Barney's a man of action. Yeah. I mean, should he have, like, checked with you first? Yes. Should he have yelled, I'm about to rip out the back of our masonry. But, like... I think he does yell, stand back, or something like that. Still, yeah, yeah. he should have been like, hey, I got a plan, um... What's our budget for repairs for the next three years? <laughs> I'm about to use all of it. 
And so that's it. And the next, finally, the stinger here is Virgil gets back on the bus. And Barney's like, boy, isn't it weird how me and, and Virgil are related? Like, he's all thumbs and goofy and awkward. And then, okay, so they have this conversation where they're like, do you think Virgil's ever going to amount to something? That's exactly what Barney yeah. says. And Andy goes, I'm sure he will, now that he's on the right track. Like, they just checked him into rehab? I know! Like, and it's such a fucking condescending thing to, like, be of someone you know, like, do you think they're ever going to be worth shit? Yeah, and, and, and Andy's like, well, we fixed him up good. No, you didn't. You figured out, like, oh, what is he going to do? Be a fucking, like, woodcarver that can never be seen by anybody? He's just going to live in the woods? Yeah. And just, like, in a cave, be a hermit that just leaves children, like, wood carvings? And actually, this sounds cool as shit. He's going to be the Thomas Pinchon of wood carvings. <laughs> It's gonna be Johnny Appleseed in this whole shit. Just this actually whips ass, and I'm on board. I love this. <laughs> but yeah, they're such fucking dicks about it. They're such turds. Yeah, he's he's a clumsy dude. He's not a heroin addict. Yeah, asshole. I, it's they get so mad about clumsiness. Like, and they really should just be like, hey man, I'm just we're just gonna stop giving you delicate shit to do. Yeah, yeah like. D- I mean, the character sucks. The whole plot of the the dynamic between them and Virgil sucks. They're assholes. Virgil doesn't make any fucking Nothing, sense. Makes no sense. Yeah, dude, dude needs to get his inner ear I, checked. Them trying to do a story about about having a, a disability, but not understanding how disabilities that aren't physical work. Yeah, like, they're definitely like. You ever notice how some people are weird and can't seem to do stuff right for reasons that don't totally make sense, and then their facial expressions are weird when they do that? This is definitely based off of Philip Shukin's little brother that, like, the family doesn't talk about. Yeah. Like, they definitely, like, they call him, like, a chowderhead. Like, but not, like, in an angry way. They're just like, ah, you know, your brother that's got that chowderhead thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, Barney does this bit, like... It's amazing how, you know, we're the same cousin, we're the same blood, and he's all thumbs and goofy and awkward, and me, I'm prime of my life, alert, aware of everything, so good at everything because I'm Barney Fife, and then he steps off the curb and a, and a car nearly hits him. Yeah. And... and it's always... The, you, know, you know, honestly, the route I thought they were going to go with this, the funny route to take with this, was I thought that Cousin Virgil was actually going to be hyper competent i thought it was going to be another yeah like, like barney gets jealous thing i thought that like he was going to show up and cousin virgil was gonna be like yeah no i i did i was awkward and then i hit a growth spurt and uh now i'm like super handsome and competent and everybody loves me <laughs> it's literally they always do this where like they set up a pre- like you know the uh, sitcoms for the last 30 40 years have basically been like we set up a premise and then we invert that premise. So the, that's what we're expecting is like a thing that would be funny and un- and surprising. This show never surprises you. They just say like this thing, a guy's going to come to town and he's going to be a real goofball. And then a goofball comes to town. Hooray! They'd be like, like this guy's coming to town. He's a criminal. And then a criminal comes to town. The person they say is coming to town is always who comes to town. They're never surprised by the person that shows up. Like, they're, the person that, the people that show up, they never have, like, hidden layers. Like, Barbara Eden walks on and is like, 
she's a hot lady. And Barbarian's like, I'm a hot lady. No <laughs> other depths. <laughs> like, like that guy seems like a bad guy from the way he looks and moves. I'm a, a bad, bad guy. guy. Look at how I look and move. <laughs> <laughs> I sure love looking and moving the way I am deep down in my soul. Like, like it's all like... <laughs> Like, Andy and Barney, every single episode, judge a book by its cover, and then the book, the inside of the book is just, hey, you, hey, you could have just looked at the cover, man. <laughs> like, it's so dumb. It's, they judge this book by its cover, and then every single page of the book is a picture of the cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so much better. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but they never, like, every single episode, we could have just, like, taken the initial premise, and then your brain immediately auto-completes a good version of that episode. And it's, it's like, never what happens. It's like the Google search bar, where, like, like, it's like your brain just did that, where it's like, Barney's clumsy cousin comes to town, and then, and then you didn't type in the remainder, and Google just fills in, and then he's better at bar than, he, he's better at everything than Barney. Like, yeah. yeah, my brain has been doing that for, like, the last five episodes. Okay, so let's let's so that's the sting. Ratings. Uh, this episode sucks. Andy meter. How good is this episode? One. Yeah, two. Moral reprehensibility. One. I mean, uh, as uh, I'm going to say, like a three. It's pretty gross, no matter how you slice it. So I'm going to put it at a three. I'm going to give it a three, just because, like, in the case that it's not about autism, then it's deeply creepy, and I want to fire cousin Virgil into the sun. Because if they're just doing that on the basis of this is a guy, then what the fuck? <laughs> horrible. Horrible episode. Horrible character. The next episode, final episode of the season, is season two, episode 31. These seasons are so long. I know, it's 31 insane. 31 episodes. Because these cost no money to make. They had two... Marty, we the last four episodes that we've done have had two sets. Yeah. It's been jail, second place. Jail, second place. End of show. Like, it, they, their set budget was nothing. Here we go. Season 2, episode 31, Deputy Otis, originally airs May 7th, 1962, written by Is Ellenson, uh, Charles, Jack Ellenson's little brother, and Fred S. Fox, and directed by President for Life of the Beef Stabilization Board, Bob Sweeney. Thank you very much, Ingrid, on the Patreon Discord. His annual pocket square budget is $36,000, Bob <laughs> Sweeney. And here's your one-sentence summary. Andy makes Otis a temporary deputy so he can impress his visiting brother, Ralph, Stanley Adams, and his wife, whom he told really was a deputy. That grammatically feels wrong. It's not great, but it's Wikipedia. These people, these poor people are doing it for free. Who plays Ralph? Who is this dude? Because he feels like a famous guy. He's actually a pretty fucking good actor. The brother is played by Stanley Adams. Here's the Wikipedia article for Stanley Adams. Stanley Adams uh, was an American actor and screenwriter. He appeared in many television series and films, notably Breakfast at Tiffany's, Lilies of the Field, and TV series from Gunsmoke to Star Trek. He died in 1977 as the result of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Christ! At the age of 62. We, we need to stop doing this. Oh my god! Every time we look up an Andy Griffith guest star. <laughs> it's like that I think you should leave sketch where they read off the way all the people in the Immemorian died. Well, other TV show podcasts don't have this problem because they do shows from the last 30 to 40 years where everyone who's been on it isn't dead so now we just have like, like yeah we can we have to stop looking at deaths because 
we're just running into the fact that mortality is grisly, and uh, and a lot of people do not die well. Oh shit! They've just got a they've just got a link to his uh, obituary in the Times. All right. Uh, do you want to just like really bring this nope. uh, this low key episode up a notch and just read off uh, how this dude fucking expired? He killed himself. At least it's not like Doodles Weaver where he shot himself twice in the head. All right. So. Wow. Oh my god, the end of season two is just merciless. This is Marty. It feels like we're in the boss battle of season two. <laughs> like this is the Sephiroth. Yeah. Just literally, the moment that you said that, I was like, oh god, the finale of season two has taken its final form. So oh, we can make this entertaining. The episode, we can the episode make this starts, the episode starts with Barney and Andy pulling up to the jail. It's like a Saturday morning, and they're showing up for work, and they're locked out. Andy forgot his keys. Barney forgot his keys. I want to know whose keys they were using to power the car. I... Hmm. I mean, hmm. So they're locked out. They go, well, shit, how are we going to get in? And they go, oh, wait, you know what? Uh, it's Saturday morning. That means that Otis came in last night. Apparently they just let Otis just wander in as, as they want. How is he? If the door is locked, how is he getting in? <laughs> how did Otis get in? Does Otis have keys? I mean, I guess that's fine. The most prolific criminal in the town has keys to the jail. Is cool. So, So they go... He's like, all right, well, Otis is probably in jail. He can let us in. They go to the back window, and Andy knocks on the back window, which we know has no glass. They do a knocking, like, noise, but he's clearly knocking on nothing. He's knocking Mm. on the air between the bars, the same air between the bars that we just watched Barney tie a rope between. This show is such ass. You know that uh you know that Charles Stewart's little brother wrote that shit in and and Bob Sweeney got into that scene and he was like, "Oh my god. I can't believe I have to I have to have him mime knocking on air and then edit in the the sound of of knocking on glass." This this is probably what got that li- these these two guys fired. Yeah. Ellison and Fox. They were like, it's our time to shine. Move aside, big brother. And then just whiffed it just real hard. Horrible. Can we just talk about, this episode feels insanely short. This episode yeah, feels it like. it goes really fast. It goes uh, really quickly. Show notes for this took no time. I was like, like, it, it feels like it's 10 minutes. There's nothing. It's insane. And it's it's very weird because again, there's a good setup and then they do nothing with it. So let's 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 push forward and get to the setup, because I want to yeah. talk to this about this. Um so it, Otis is like, alright, fine. He like wakes up, he's grouchy, he's like, You guys woke me up, I didn't get eight hours of sleep. He goes and lets them in. Um and he's like, God damn it, this place is as bad as home. If I wanted to be woken up, I would have been at home with my bitch wife. <laughs> my fucking nagging bitch wife who I fucking hate. <laughs> that goddamn harlot. I hate her. She she's, never shuts up. She's a shrew. Like, Jesus, Otis. Like, yeah. he seriously goes off on his fucking wife. He's just like, the actual line is like, if I wanted to be woken up, I would have stayed home with my yammering wife. But he's just got so much and anger. And then he's just like, it. yammer, yammer, yammer. That's all she does. That's not how Otis sounds, but it's, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so then he goes back to his cell, basically. He's like, all right, I'm going to go back to sleep now. Uh, Barney's going through the mail, and he's throwing away stuff like occupant, occupant, occupant. We get another gag. I actually like, really, I like these gags. 
Got another letter from the Hubacher brothers. They're in jail. It's been two years. They had a big party at the state penitentiary. So they get cards from these guys in prison. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Anyway. It's a nice moment. Um, But here's here's the plot of the episode uh, that shows up. There's a letter for Otis. mm -hmm. And Andy's like, why are they sending you a letter here? And Barney says, why not? Yeah. Like, yeah, this is about as... Uh, like, 50% likely where he'd be. It, yeah. More so, probably. He opens up the letter, and he asks Andy to read it, because he doesn't have his glasses. Um, is Otis illiterate? Maybe. And Could be. He gets... Now, Otis can read. Otis is a... I think I want to go... Like, Otis rules. Yeah. Aside from the fact that... Otis. Except for that one detail early in the thing about hating his wife, which we, pre- yeah. we pretend that doesn't exist because he's a shining light in this show that we need like, everything we can get to get through. Just, so we just let us have this. It was just one let line. This. Let's just pretend... This show decides so many things aren't canon, including one of Andy's girlfriends. Let's just decide that that's not canon sometimes. Um, but other than that, Otis fucking rules. Like, Otis, I feel like, if he, like, he's like Barney from The Simpsons, where, like, I, if he stopped drinking, he could do anything. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, so, so Otis is the best character. But anyway, he gets a letter that his cousin Ralph, I'm sorry, his brother Ralph is coming to town. Uh, and that makes it, the, what tips Andy off is, like, there's a P.S. P.S. I made a joke that we don't have to worry about any speeding tickets coming through Mayberry because you can fix it for us. Ha ha. Can we? So this is the, a letter from his brother's wife, right, right? Right. His brother's wife. His brother's wife is into Otis. A little bit, yeah. Little his bit. brother's. His brother's wife is like, I married the wrong brother. Uh, like she's that. Was, that is a flirt text. If you got that text, you would be like, hey. Something's going on. By the way, we've seen this actress before uh, in on this show. It's the same actress that played Miss Rosemary, uh, who Barney had a crush on early, early on in season one. Bar- Miss Rosemary, who a- Barney get- got with, and then he uh, he used a firestone on her, and then uh, she evolved into Betty Lynn, and then he used a moonstone on her, and she evolved into Thelma Lou. Yes. Because he didn't, like, break up with Miss Rosemary. He just, like, just... Like, they just slotted new women into Barney's dating life. Yeah, so this woman has been on the show before. Uh, the actress's name is Amesy Strickland. Hell yes! <laughs> uh, Amesy. So... God, old-timey names used to be... They, it felt like they were just going, like, freestyling. Like, the dad would... They would just be like, Hey, uh, Mr. Strickland, your your wife had a... Du-, like, they were yelling down the hall. Your wife had a girl, and he just, like, leans in from their room. Amesy! <laughs> what? I'm not repeating myself. Just write down what you think you heard me say. <laughs> and that's how they got all their names. That's so, so, much, be- that's so much better than today's crop of Lakins, Akins, Kalins, yeah. Raylins. It's like, all the names we hear in this are like, my name's Thomas, my name's Jonathan, Fromican. Like, <laughs> like... Like, it does sound like the person naming them was drunk. R- Ramekin Johnson. Yeah. Libbles. My name is, I'm a, I'm a woman and my name is Libbles. <laughs> like, every tenth name is batshit. Andy says, what the hell does that mean? You can fix it, ha ha. And Otis comes to the conclusion, he's like, oh man, dude, okay, so... Sometimes when I'm in here, I steal your stationery and I write letters to my brother... Because 
what else am I going to do? Uh, and I mail them, and I guess they saw the the letterhead that said Mayberry Sheriff's Department, and I guess they figure I must be working for the Sheriff's Department, because that's where I send them letters from. Yeah. Which, what the fuck is he writing letters to his brother about? Like, he's he doesn't really have anything going on. Like, he he doesn't tell them about his drinking, which is basically his hobby and life. He doesn't really have a job, and his wife hates him, so like... What what updates are he are he providing? Dear brother, still Otison. Yeah, just Otison it up. You know me. <laughs> Wife still thinks I'm a piece of shit. You, he's probably back then. They probably just wrote letters and they were just like, "Uh, you catch the Steelers? Fuck." <laughs> like just, those are the right just writing details of a baseball game that happened six weeks yeah. ago. <laughs> like. <laughs> Dearest Thomas, the pitcher for the Orioles looks pretty good this year. By the time you receive this, we'll know for sure. <laughs> Hal Smith delivers this monologue, basically. It's like the fucking uh, John Candy, my wife likes me monologue in uh, in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. He's just like, I'm sorry, Andy, but I was just compared to Ralph my whole life. You know, I, I, no one in my family has ever liked me. I just, I wanted them to be proud of me. I'll, I'll fix this whole thing up. And, like, Hal Smith is nailing this shit. Yeah. And Andy says, well, fuck it. I can make you a deputy for the day. Yeah. Yeah, which is, like, pretty, I don't know, pretty good move on Andy's part. So, which then treats us to a prolonged episode of Barney Five Has a Fit, which we haven't gotten one of in a while. So it's kind of like, oh yeah, I forgot how much these fucking annoy me. Because, like, Don Knotts goes through the rounds. Like, he, do- he like, huffs and flaps his arms, and he does, like, the whole, like, ah, thing that he does when he's, like, upset, where he just kind of makes, like, a, a moaning whine. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I fucking hate He turns into a Muppet when he's upset. Like, just a, sh- a Muppet that you're shaking. <laughs> Like, he, upset Don Knotts looks like he should be on the Dark Crystal. Like, he looks like he should be in the background of a Skeksis scene. Andy's, like, pro-Otis argument is that Otis ain't a bad fella. He's one of the nicest fellas I know. He he says that we lock him up for drinking so that he doesn't hurt himself. Yeah. Not because he's a a danger to anyone, because he's a danger to himself. "Eh." Yeah, yeah, that's... And his his, his logic is, actually, he does a great service for the town, because he drinks all the booze before anyone else can. You're a terrible lawman. (laughs) The worst! (laughs) You're so bad at this fucking job, Andy. Which, 100%, not how how a market works. Like, they're, they're never like, oh no, this guy gave us all this money for our product. I guess there's that the number of product that we have is going to stay the same forever. We definitely don't have capital to invest back into the pro, uh, into our still. We can't, definitely can't up production. Uh, Otis comes out and he's wearing a uniform. Uh, I guess there's ad lying around back there that, that fits him. Uh, Barney's really mad. You know, they're, they're fat guy uniform, yeah. yeah. And Andy swears him in. And then Barney, like, does this bit. Like, well, excuse me, Andy. You, you you missed a couple of things there. And he's like, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. Yeah. Let me do this. Uh, there's a really funny bit where... Uh, oh, Hal Smith crushes this scene. It's so funny. Uh, Barney, like, makes him do a repeat after me. Uh, I will not dishonor my post. Uh, I will... 
I will yeah. behave in a manner befitting a deputy. Uh, yeah, right. I will behave in a manner fit, befitting a deputy. Hal Smith repeats it. I will behave in a manner befitting a deputy. Barney says, I will not have a drink of alcohol while I'm wearing the uniform. And Hal Smith says, I will behave in a manner befitting a deputy. <laughs> yeah. And then Barney's like, I said, repeat after me. And he just goes, I, don't help me. I just, it, I need a second. <laughs> I need to work on it. It's so good. There's a little bit of, like, physical comedy standoff between Hal Smith and Barney Fife, or Hal Smith and Don Knotts, which is also pretty good. They have, like, a little, like, fight over how to do a proper salute. Yeah. Um, that's good. You've given us a good premise. The town drunk has to be a deputy for the day and pretend to be respectable. That rules. So, lay up. So, you set it up. This is the setup. All you have to do is just do antics from here. Take Hal Smith, put him in a deputy uniform. Give him authority, set him loose in the town. Probably what would happen is Otis would abuse his authority, but ultimately learn a lesson about why he's not allowed to do that. Him abusing his authority would be fucking funny. And then at the last second, have Ralph show up and say like, oh, I always loved you and you always inspired me. And now I'm going to leave. I didn't need you to be a deputy for me to be proud of you. You just had to be my brother. Yeah, that's it. Put, put the Don Knotts and Hal Smith are funny together. Yeah. Put them out on patrol together. Have Barney train him. It's going to be real funny. There's a good dynamic there to play off of. This is such a layup. And that's not what they do at all. They go in such a weird, dumb direction that morally does not make any sense. There is no coherent idea of what right and wrong is. (laughs) So uh, the next scene is in a car. Yeah. Ralph's wife... uh, so Ralph and his wife are driving to town, uh, and they're having an argument where Ralph says he's like, "I don't, I don't think my brother's really a deputy, or I don't, I didn't think he'd become anything. What the fuck, man?" Yeah, and, uh, I think and he's like, I, "Yeah, like I think I'm suspicious that this isn't real." And then his uh, his wife is just like, I, "I am so hot for your brother." Like she's just like, your brother is fucking awesome. He's a real great guy, and you're a piece of shit compared to him. Uh, I admire your brother so deeply. Like she's just gushing a very mean thing to say to your your significant other of like, God, your brother rules. So they're back at Otis's house, and Otis's wife is like, what? <laughs> Otis's wife is just like, you're, you're gonna make my husband a deputy. Really? Yeah. And then she does something kind of cool. She's like, so if he's a deputy and he sees some alcohol, what's he going to have to do? And he's like, well, clearly he's going to have to confiscate and dispose of it. And then Hal Smith's facial expression during this is really great because he realizes what's happening. And like he puckers his mouth and his eyes get really big and he starts like darting them around. It's so good. He's such a good actor. He's the best actor on this show. And so she Hands pulls down. him into the kitchen. It's like, well, here's a tip, Sheriff. There is some alcohol in this room. No, what no. What are you going to do, Deputy? More, she's like, all right, Deputy, dispose of the alcohol that's somewhere in this building that I haven't been able to find yet. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, she's like, I know for a fact there's alcohol in here. You have to get rid of it because you know where it is. And he, he pulls out a plant. And it's hidden underneath the plant. He has this great line, well, thanks, now the plant's gonna die. Yeah, he's like, I hope you're happy. Now your plant's gonna 
die. Like he says it like really like a like a like a scorned kid. Like nah, now your plant's gonna so die. Funny. He's it's, so good, man. He's pouring out the whiskey, and that's when Ralph and his wife show up. He yells. He says like Andy's like okay, now you have to pour it out, and he's like, but the government doesn't want us to waste food. Yeah. <laughs> Does it, which kind of supports your thing of like this thinks it's the Great Depression, and then Ralph shows up. And then just, like, I mean, do we even want to, like, describe this scene? Because it's literally just them going, like, hey, hi, hi. There is is one funny bit where uh, Andy says that, like, Otis is a great deputy. Uh, His specialty is breaking up stills and tracking down stills. Yeah. In fact, every time a new still pops up, he finds it faster than anyone. We wonder all the time how he finds these stills so fast. Yeah. That's it, man. Whatever. And then, and then, just like you, you know, the things that you say when you haven't seen a relative in a long time. Yeah, just like, it's just that. Hey, how you doing? Oh, uh, you got yeah, fat. Yeah. You put on some weight. You uh, look so nice. It's been so long. They just say that shit. It's that. It's that for like and, six minutes. Yeah, that's a scene, <laughs> an entire scene of just things. The interview show does this thing that that sort of drives me insane and and makes it so we confuse this with real life and get angry at it like it's real life, where they just do bullshit that you see in your normal life uh and and it sort of like blurs reality from from tv show and this is where by the way you mentioned that this episode feels like it takes no time at all we're almost done yeah there is one scene left in this episode crazy where does this episode go it's incredible (laughs) so uh back at the jail barney and andy are having an argument uh where Barney's like, yeah, or Andy's like, yeah, see, everything worked out fine. And Barney's like, no, we falsified documents. We we are lying to the law right now. He well falsified. I just don't think we should falsify. We're not we shouldn't be falsifying. Well, they like, didn't falsify documents. That's the weird thing, is like Andy does have the power to make anybody he wants a deputy. Sure. Yeah, Barney's just like he we falsified that he's always been a deputy. He's unclear about what's being falsified. Yeah. What else we so got? So Otis comes in and he's sad. Why are you sad, Otis? He's like, well, my brother left and I think he's wandering around town to ask around and prove that I'm not a deputy. And he's going to find out and we're all going to be in trouble. Yeah. Again, that is an opportunity for mischief. Another, we got to run interference. Run we got to get Mich- we got to get everyone in town to say that Otis has been a deputy all the time. Yeah, that's a good opportunity for comedy. That doesn't happen. Instead, here's the twist. Ralph enters and he does the Otis thing where he stumbles in, grabs the keys, Stumbles into the cell, locks himself in, puts the keys back, and then he says, Well, that's how I do it where I'm from. Which How do you do it here? Here's the shitty thing. It's not even a twist. Because in the scene before, there's one part where Ralph is just like, Hey, do you want to go get drunk together? And then Otis is like, No, I don't. I'm a deputy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not even a fucking twist. It's just like, Ralph is just like, Hey, I also like to drink with you. And then the next scene, they're like, Ralph also likes to drink? What? Which kind of calls into question what the fuck the point of any of this was. Yeah, they could have... It could have just been an episode where like, oh good, now there's two of them. And just Otis and his brother get drunk together. That should have been the fun thing. Like, the honestly, the thing that would have made sense in, in character would Otis, when as soon as Ralph was like, hey, do you want to get fucking blasted together? Otis would be like... Oh, thank God. And, and then just, just, ripped, just, off just ripped off the uniform. Like, let's go get annihilated. Together. Never mind, Barney. Never mind, Annie. Thanks for the help. Bye. We're cool. <laughs> Don't worry. My brother's sister will think I'm a piece of shit, but 
Whatever. Yeah. Who my, cares about the opinion of a woman? I barely care about what my wife thinks about <laughs> me. Uh, yeah, it's horrible. It's uh, yeah. So then Ralph comes in, and they get a little bit of shtick out of him. Actually, they milk this for for shtick of him pretending to be drunk, and then and then Otis tears into him. It's insane. It's fucking crazy because he's like. I am so disappointed at you because I have made something out of myself as a deputy and you are embarrassing me in front of my friends who have never seen me drunk. You are a piece of shit, Ralph, and a disappointment. You're worthless and nothing, which is so <laughs> hypocritical. It's insane. And it's kind of like... How did anyone write this with a straight face? How did Hal Smith deliver this with a straight face? And the show knows it's hypocritical, but they don't even make a joke of how hypocritical it is. Like, Andy doesn't, uh, like, go like, ha he's being a fucking hypocrite right now. This is so funny. Andy is just standing behind him going like, yeah, yes, yeah. hypocrisy, yeah. And, and then Ralph says, you're right, you're right. Otis, I'm ashamed. Yeah. And he pulls a bottle out of his gla- his pocket, and he just drops it on the floor. Yeah. And, like, no one's like, dude, clean that up. Fuck you. Yeah. No, but it's crazy. Like, he... Now there's broken glass in my gel cell. That's, uh, that's not a hazard at all. Yeah. So, Otis just lying about his entire life made his brother feel like a complete piece of shit. And then, you, you know what might have happened if, like... Otis had told the truth, they might have realized, like, oh, shit, we have a drinking problem probably stemming from our childhoods or something like that. Yeah. yeah, maybe we can, like, work through this together. Instead, like, Ralph is going to feel like a piece of shit, try to get sober for, like, four months, relapse, feel like even more of a piece of shit, and then shoot himself. Oh, that's how that happened. Oh. Uh, yeah, so horrible like deeply hypocritical well, dan you know that the best way it's it's 1962 and the best way to deal with substance abuse is shame yeah <laughs> the fuck you school of uh of, of rehabilitation of just like it was actually yeah it was a thing of like when you have someone that has like a substance abuse issue a burly man breaks into your house and just goes like you piece of shit you fucking garbage you're worthless why are you on this earth why did your mother crap you out you piece of garbage stop it stop it everyone hates you you're making everyone in your life miserable all right i'm out that'll be like 50 bucks or whatever a hundred dollars was back then uh that's it right like yeah. the, the, the last scene is uh they're hanging around the jail otis has not returned his uniform yet and he's making like a pinwheel out of uh yeah, just carving, he's a, just pinwheel? carving a pinwheel what uh, and uh he says that he thinks it's going to be a long time before Otis takes a drink, and it will be because this is the last episode of the season, so at least three months. Yeah. Uh, and Barney's like, I don't think so. And Otis enters, and Barney thinks he's drunk, but he's actually just been sucking in his gut and trying to walk. Yeah. It's, so this is like, this episode kind of taught me like something about morality, because like most things, they fall morally into like, some spectrum of between good and bad, right? Sure. Even of, like, the gray areas. This falls into the area of, what? Yeah. Like, what? You're not even on the map. Like, what the fuck are you trying to say? Like, what is this? Um, yeah, it's so weird and doesn't make any sense. And we're done. We are... That's it. Yeah. That's it. I'm sorry. I've stopped actually looking. I'm looking at stuff on the internet now. (laughs) 
God. I'm, che- I'm checking up on the Antonio Brown news right now. Like, what? We have done it. We're done. We are through season, season two. Season two is over. Which has been, I think, has had some great moments in it uh, that surpassed season one in terms of holy fucking shit. And this shit is great. Uh, and it has also had deep unbearable valleys of just pain and boredom and misery and you know we did it we're, we, we're, 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 we're through we accomplished this and in doing so really got nothing i learned nothing <laughs> I, I i i don't feel any different i think i understand the world and myself slightly less now if anything um but so this may have hurt but at least we got nothing out of yeah. it um what's your fucking andy score man I, i'm gonna give this like a Four based on Hal Smith alone. Hal Smith carries it. Yeah, I'll give. I'll do a four too. Just in keeping with our season two thing of not putting enough effort in to disagree. And Barney score seven. I don't even know, man. <laughs> it's so fucked. I don't even know. It's you know what? It is the Cuba Gooding vehicle snow dogs. I don't know. <laughs> It's snow that. dogs out of ten. Yeah, it's snow dogs out of ten. I have no fucking idea. It's I'm, what? It's yeah. I got season nothing. two, everybody. Woo! That's a wrap. That's a wrap on season two. All right. All right so, so um, in the future, so we're gonna do one season finale. I think we've decided we're gonna watch The Incredible Mr. Limpet. That's gonna be our next episode. A show, a movie I have referenced a couple of times because uh, I watched it a lot as a child, and the memories of what is in it haunt me. And then we're gonna do a quick mini series of a different show uh, for a couple of episodes, and then we're gonna take an official break. Yeah, uh, it'll be probably right around the holidays, probably right around, around November, December. Uh, so we will not be talking about the Andy Griffith show we just for need a, a while. We just need a, a grip, guys. This yeah. one was rough. This was this was hard. And also, how many more times can I describe Don Knotts' body, like, and and it doing weird, bad things? I just need a grip. I just yeah. Uh, please stick around though till the end of, this, of these credits for the conclusion of Barney's Day Out, written by Not Your Guts and Jack Royce. Uh, this one does not star erotic Don Knotts, but we do have special guest voice. Grant from History Honeys and Sex Archie, Woo. Uh, who has done some narration for us. Music you heard before was, I mean, I'm, I'm just burning through the end here, I'm done with this. Uh, <laughs> music you heard before. Marty, for those listening at home, is putting on his hat and coat. He somehow got a, like an old fedora and a trench coat. It is it is not cold out yet in Philadelphia. It, He's hailing a cab from inside the apartment? <laughs> You, the music you heard before was Max Ludwig. The music you're about to hear is Brothers Rye. We'll see you all down at the fishing hole. Yeah, I'll come back now.
And now, a Breaking Mayberry special presentation. Barney's Day Out by Not Your Guts and Jack Royce. Episode 4. Oh, Barn. Andy sighed to himself as he set the letter down on his desk. This is one barrel of kerosene pickles. Even I couldn't get you out of. It had been much quieter around Mayberry since the news broke out of Washington, D.C. Much fewer false arrests, most of the tickets were for actual crimes committed, and aside from the occasional bootlegger feud on the outskirts of town, no unnecessary shots fired. Keeping the order was more than just a hair easier with his deputy indisposed. It was hard to complain, but Andy was downright bored most of the time. The silence was almost eerie inside the sheriff's office. Even Otis wasn't much for small talk anymore. It was like the town was holding its breath, waiting. For what, Andy couldn't be sure, but he did feel it was just a little too quiet. As he mused about the implications, Opie bounded inside the office with his normal greeting. Hey, Pa! The boy shouted, sending an echo throughout the room that nearly rattled the shingles off the roof. Well, speaking of the devil... Andy chuckled. He pulled open his desk drawer and slipped Barney's last letter inside while Opie approached. What can I do for you, son? Opie's brow furrowed with concern. Well, teacher said today in class that Barney is going to get executicated. Is that true, Pa? That's executed, Ope. But yes, that's what's slated for old Barney. Opie crossed his arms and his face screwed up in deep thought. Funny how that is, ain't it? You mentioned that election was coming up, and Barney went and tried it. Almost like he wouldn't have done it if... Now, Opie, Andy interrupted softly. He set a hand on his son's shoulder and leaned forward to his eye level. That right there is the quiet part. We don't want to say that too loud, now do we? I don't know what quiet is, Pa! A smile crinkled at the edges of Andy's eyes. Then we'd best not say it at all. The radio sizzled to life as the dial found its destination. There was some preamble coming in over the wires, but nothing particularly ceremonial. No last words. They'd be there all day if they allowed it. A hollow thud of wood falling against wood, a single soft crack that wasn't loud enough to echo, and the creak of rope holding something heavy aloft. With that, Thelma Lou was free. <laughs> 